Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study the scriptures using a passage from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that Fresh Text will be enjoyable for all listeners and edifying for uh, those who want to grow in their faith as they study the Word and perhaps equipping for those uh, who are pastors, teachers, preparing lessons on this or other texts in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm Spiritual Formation Coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Larisa Lebicheva. Larisa is no stranger to the show. Any regular listeners have heard her many times. She's on often, and I love it when she's on. She's an author of numerous articles and uh, commentaries and all kinds of great stuff. If you uh, search her name, you'll find what she's got out there. Contributor to Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias and word studies and articles. She's just really fantastic and a great teacher of Bible and Old Testament specialist at Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University, a dear friend and colleague of mine. Love it when she's on the show. We're going to be looking at Psalm 47 today, Psalm 47. So if you want to turn there, uh, you can check that out and follow along. Or if you're just listening along, don't worry, we'll read it for you a couple times through the course of the show in various translations. As you're listening to the show, if you're enjoying it, uh, make sure to hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice so you can pass this show on to others so they may enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text uh, to find ways to support the show there. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Larissa. Right. Would you be willing to read the passage? Absolutely. Awesome. Psalm 47. Clap all your hands, all your nations. Shout to God with Christ of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, people under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid sounds of joy, the Lord amid the soundings of trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are the God who is exalted over all things, that all of the earth is under your authority. And we give you thanks that you raised your son Jesus from the dead and have delegated him uh, with all earthly authority and have brought him up, drawn him up, caused him to ascend uh, to your right hand where he reigns. And so as we pray now, we appeal to his constant intercession for us and ask that um, our prayers would be heard and that our study of this ancient song would stir in us a song of our own. And may 
what uh, Larissa and I have to say today uh, be edifying and equipping for all those listening in. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So what do you notice here? Psalm 47. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, a great example of parallelism. Okay. Right? If we go into Let's do that. Hebrew poetry. So it's very, it's quite interesting to observe it. It's very clear here. But the structure is very interesting. It's, you know, the first five verses and then the last five verses. So it's mm -hmm. parallel in that way. But verse one and six both invite the audience into praise and worship, right? Yeah. But if in the first verse, it's about clapping hands in the six, it's about singing, right? So ah. it's all about making noise, right? Joyful noise. So in the, in a way, it's, it's the invitation to be fully present and fully participating in worship. So I don't know, it's very unusual for me, but um, doing a sports metaphor, right? Sports <laughs> illustration, but um, going to it's your first a, one. Yes. <laughs> a special moment. <laughs> right. Um, like going to a game, right? Regardless of sport it is, right? Like I usually go to volleyball games or tennis games where my daughters participate, but it's like you get into it, right? So that's, yeah. you naturally start shouting, not because you're mad. Well, sometimes you are. But that's how you participate, right? With your whole body. Those are body. the imprecatory songs. Right. <laughs> you get mad at the ref. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. No, that's true. But, you know, like you get all in, right? And mm -hmm. then, like, especially, you know, like if you watch a soccer game, right? They always chant something. And, right? So that's the, the full participation. You're excited because you're there, because you're watching it and shouting and clapping hands. It's like you are participating in this game. Yeah. To the fullness of your abilities to do that, right? So and that probably has some, that analogy is not just the illustration, it has some sort of historical derivation insofar oh, as athletics are rooted in war games. Right. You know, so right. and there is a battle element right. to this of yes. celebrating a conquering hero coming right. back, probably, right? right. I mean, right. like it's not just that, but Right. You know, and that, yeah. that's, a, that's a, one of the settings that a psalm like this could operate in is like, you know, right. isn't God awesome? We defeated our enemies. Right. <laughs> and it actually, you know, the um, talking about about uh, blowing a horn. Oh, yeah. Let's take a look. Um, yeah. It's in verse uh, five. Five. Yes. Ram's sounds horn of joy, sound. Right. Sounds of trumpets. Right. Trumpet. Yeah, right. That's, so that is. Thanks, uh, NIV. Trumpet. <laughs> No, horn. I know. I was like, <laughs> Shofar. That's why I can find yeah, yeah, it, right? right? Yeah, so it is. Um, that's what accompanies a victory, right? Or when a victor ah, is coming okay. back, uh, returning to the city. So, yes, yes the, the war, the picture of the war, right? Of victory in war. This is exactly what's going on. So, on this, this psalm is so multifaceted, right? There are so many. What are they called? Compound metaphors? Yes, right? yes. And then also the same thing would happen during a coronation of a king. Right. So, you know, worship, uh, war, coronation of the king. So all of that is mixed together in the psalm, in invitation to participate in what's going on. 
And I don't think there is a need to say, well, no, that's about victory in war or no, that's about coronation. All of that together. Yeah, it's not right? how poetry works. It's right. meant to be yeah. have multi-use. Right. Wouldn't have made its way into the canon if it didn't have, right. you know what I mean? If yes. it was just a, for one-time use. Right, right. It doesn't yeah. make its way into Israel's hymn book, as it were. Right, right. If it couldn't have multiple uses. Yeah. Crushes people under his feet. Right. Nations. Is that the parallel? Is it almost kind of an so then, A, B, C, A, right. B, C kind of thing? Is that where you're heading? Yep. Go and ahead. And then verse yeah. 2 and uh, verse 7, right? Parallel. Yeah. And wow, these are I like, never saw this. Not was, like, you know, like nominal um, sure. sentences, right? How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth, right? There's no verb, so to speak. Right. And, it's almost like a colon. This is that. Right. It has the and word then, king for, for both. For God both, is the right? king of all the earth, right? So that's mm -hmm. the same. And then it goes into the verbal clauses saying, like, what he's done. Like, why is he king? He subdued nations under us, verse 3. He chose our inheritance for us, verse 4. And 5, God ascended amid shouts of joy, right? And then mm -hmm. here, 8, God reigns over the nations. God is seated. The nobles of the nations assemble, right? He's greatly exalted. So we know who he is, the great king, that's God. But that's why he is the great king. He's done all those things. So what, what's also interesting wow. is in the... And the war imagery is the clearest in, in what would be E if we were doing letters, A, B, C, D, E, right? Because right? yep. yep. the, the horns, ram's horn in five loosely corresponds to the lamb's defenders in verse nine. I'm not sure how NIV translates that, but in verse nine B, what do you have? What's for the Kings of the earth belong to God. Is that the part? Yeah. So there's a translation decision to make here. It's possible that the phrase here can be translated as lands defender, like the right, defenders yes. coming home yeah. from right. battle. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. You were making a point. Sorry, I'm I'm getting super jazzed because <laughs> yeah. this is really clear. A B C D E A B C D E. Your translation is much better than that. I mean, I just want you to know. Well, of course it is. Right. But that's not saying much. <laughs> this is mine. This is Robert Alter, but, right? So it's pretty killer. But right. So, but and then, you use uh, C E B a lot when you, you right. just forgot it mm -hmm. today, right? Yeah. Uh, or NRSV. Yeah. Right. But, but not NIV. CEB has been impressing me. I've been yes. looking yes. at it more. Yes. Um, Very good. You've been using it, and that turned me on to it. Right. And then Brent uh, Strom was just on. Uh, so oh, we had some fun I talks need, about that. So I need to find that episode. Well, our listeners, it will have just come out. But oh. for you, we're working ahead. It's not even out right. yet. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I do what I do because of Brent Strom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because he was teaching at Asbury when right. you were there, correct? Yep. And you know he taught me Hebrew? No. He did one summer at Princeton oh. uh, and taught Hebrew that one summer. I had him the one time and one time only that he taught at PTS. I um, mean, he did his degree there with Patrick Miller but, yeah. and Seattle and the rest. But, right. Um, yeah. But I got to have him one time. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Seattle was on sabbatical and let him come teach Hebrew for him once. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So he was great to have on, but... Not to sit here and praise Brent. Let's praise the <laughs> Lord. But nevertheless, I did not see that parallelism. This is such a great example of a kind of two-part psalm. It's funny that the Selah is marked not in between the two of them. That sure would be convenient 
if the, (laughs) but those sailors are often not in a conceptual spot. It usually has to do with, well, we don't know what it has to do with. Yeah, some musical, some musical notation, but. Right. And another thing, if we uh, pay attention to to the words, right, the parallelism that's going on Mm -hmm. in the first five uh, verses where it's more about Israel, right? It's us, you know, like. um, Even crushing the peoples beneath us, the nations beneath our Our feet. feet. Right. He chose our inheritance for us. Right. So it's quite clear. The first five verses is more about Israel. The last ones are more about the world and the nations. Right? All earth. Right. So in the first five verses, what we see here is the Yahweh Elohim, mm. right? Lord God. But yes. in the second half, it's only God. So, ah. you know, it's like, well, for us, he is our uh, creator covenant God mm-hmm. for you. He's just God, right? He's not just oh, creator. You, you're not there yet, right? Yeah. We're in a special relationship, but you're not there yet. So I don't know. It's, but that doesn't mean it, you're not out. You're not within his. Right. You sovereignty. are within his, but we have a special connection, right? Only yeah. we call him the Lord. So I think it's yeah, quite interesting how it a lot, a lot of thought went into this. Yeah. Right? Like it's brilliantly a constructed. Lot of thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, uh, really amazing. So the first five verses basically tell the story of rela- of the relationship between God and his covenant people. Mm-hmm. And then the last ones kind of place that story within a larger story that God has with the world. Yeah, this international. Right. So the whole world is mine and my special people. And that's such a helpful inversion of... It's so easy to fall, especially for those like myself that don't have a connection in the flesh to the Jewish people. You know, there's a tendency in Gentile Christianity to sort of prioritize the creator relation. Mm-hmm. And and you can read the canon this way incorrectly, I think. But just be like, right. yeah, yeah, there's the creation stuff, the first couple chapters. And then there's all this Israel interlude and then the <laughs> Jesus part, right? Uh, which is, of course, not... I don't think a correct way of reading the, the canon, right. but so I think uh, the way this psalm inverts it, where it prioritizes and places at the center the covenantal relation, right? But then doesn't exclude this larger creator relation that's moving towards the covenant relation. And for Gentile Christians, what we confess when we've got our heads on straight is that we're being included <laughs> into right. that covenant relation, rather than right. that covenant relationship has been severed. And now we just have this creator relation right. as if Before the covenant relation was made up, like as if the Jews just made up this special relationship. Right. Um, but, but a lot of Christian teaching can fall into that, that notion, that mindset. Right. Like as people, as Peter said, right. Before you were not, not appeal, people. now you are. Not people. guess what? It turns out you always were a per- people <laughs> right. and just didn't know it. That's never the way the new Testament puts it. Right. You know, that's true. I mean, I learned these things from exegeting the new Testament, not right. I mean, the new Testament. Yes. I'm not saying this is like, and this yeah. is how the New Testament sees it. Right. And, and even all the intense negative polemics against the Jewish people is insider debates. Right. You know, because yes. it's Jews talking about but, their right. their brothers and sisters. But I know you know all this, Lara. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I forget it, and a lot of our Gentile listeners forget it. And so. 
I appreciate you being here to, I just, I feel like that order matters. It's interesting that it's not the other way around. It's very seldom for the Psalms to privilege the creator relation. Actually, there's a handful. Right. And 19 starts there. Right. Yes. But that's not standard. Usually the covenantal relation is at the center and the covenant, the creator relation is at the periphery. Is that, does that that correspond with your experience of the Psalter Mm -hmm. or am I imposing that? Okay. So I have a tendency to impose my large <laughs> theological judgments onto the, if I did that too much, you'd stop coming to my show, but I, I try to keep contain it slightly. Well, let's come back and uh, explore this some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at Psalm 47 with Larissa Levicheva. First time back in a while. Miss you so much. Got to have you on some more, especially for Psalms. You're just killing it on Psalms. Helps that this one's great. (laughs) Right. Right. I even gave you choices. I think I gave you like three to choose from. Right. Uh, So I might in a moment, I'm going to ask you in a moment before we jump back in to more details, why you picked this. So think about that a little bit. You might not remember what the other ones were, but what drew you to 47? And you may have already said it, but that's okay. I just want to kind of hear your heart for why this, why you love this psalm. So let's, let's hear it again. This is from Robert Alter's translation. Inscription is for the lead player, for the Korahites, a psalm. All peoples clap hands, shout to God with a sound of glad song. For the Lord is most high and fearsome, a great king over all the earth. He crushes peoples beneath us and nations beneath our feet. He chooses for us our estate, pride of Jacob, Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a trumpet blast, the Lord with a ram's horn. Sing to God, sing, sing to our king, O sing. The king of all the earth is God. Sing joyous song. God reigns over the nations and sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples have gathered, the people of Abraham's God. For gods are the land's defenders. Much exalted is he. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning. It's now and will be forever. Amen. Amen. So yeah, why, why do you why do you like this psalm? Maybe you already told us. Maybe it's the stuff you already said. Or was there something else about it that draws you to it? In the Psalter, we have those psalms of ascend, right? Mm-hmm. That usually come together. But this is also a psalm of ascend, right? So it shows yeah. up so much earlier. And when I looked at others, I think they were mostly repetition of what this psalm says so mm. i thought well i'll just start with it and then whoever comes after me will have to repeat it yeah <laughs> sneaky right. uh too bad we're not going in order i know I was it'll kidding. still work because right. this is earlier so i gave you three to choose from all of which were suggested psalms for ascension sunday hence going up right ascending uh so you caught that right. theme there right Although, fun fact to our listeners, I don't always reveal to our guests like what date they're right. partially because I don't want to like have that 
condition the, I just want to let the text speak for itself. And then if we want to make those connections, we make them, uh, but want them to emerge organically. But because there was a, there was like a repeat Psalm for the day that this is on. So this is not the Ascension episode. Sorry, doing some back channel stuff here, but this is a couple weeks before Ascension. So we're, we're moving towards Ascension Sunday and there was a repeat Psalm that I wanted to sub in. So I was moving one of the Ascension Mm. Psalms for you today. Yeah. Yay. For uh, dear listeners. Uh, and man, when we were reading through it, it was like, well, that's pretty obvious. Like once it says God has gone up with a trumpet blast, that language of ascension is pretty strong. I even got out my Septuagint real quick um, to just check that. Which verse is that where it says gone up or ascended? I'm not sure how your verse five translates that today. but Yeah, five. Yeah, it's anabay. It's, it's, it's anabino. Oh, it's the very, that yeah. very key quasi, whoops, sound effects quasi technical term right in the new yes. testament although it can just be a regular old word right for just going up going up yep and it's always the verb we have going up to jerusalem mm-hmm. hence the ascension right uh connection ascending up to jerusalem but then also has this resonances and then the language of reigning and sitting in verse eight obviously have ascension right connections yes know? so so, just two thoughts. You yeah, yeah. mentioned enough about um, Jesus. Let's back there. back to Psalm forty-seven. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know you're, you're a fan. Right. <laughs> you mentioned before and before the break. Are we talking about the covenant relationship? That's yes. important. Yes. In the psalm, what we also see is that the second part of the psalm is that uh, is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. Right. How in you all the nations will be blessed, right? So that's exactly what we see, like all the nations, right? The nobles of the nations assemble. Yes. So that could be, you know, the the image of, you know, foreign emissaries coming to pay homage, right? Right. To the new king. If you bless him, then the blessing comes back, Genesis 12. Right. Whether it is the foreign people, nobles at the court already, because they moved to this country, right? So it's this uh, very powerful image of how what God has done for Israel has influenced, right? And uh, impacted the whole world. So, you know, like the people of God, of Abraham, Mm -hmm. right? So that's very strong connection to the promise given to Abraham, and now it's being fulfilled. Yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot while I do, but... (laughs) Uh, Nedevi princes mm-hmm. is that what what is what does NIV today have nobles nobles okay so Nedevi so that's right right princes nobles mm-hmm. yeah Amim so Amim so that'd um. be the princes of the peoples plural the moment right. you have the plural peoples this implies other nations correct right the, yes the people of Israel are always on singular, right? Mm-hmm. right? Okay, yeah. I assumed that, but I wanted to double check. So that means those two lines, the first couplet of verse nine, mm-hmm. has that whole structure of covenant fulfilled in the extension to all the creatures. Right, because it is says, as the people of the God of Abraham. Yeah, and right? of course, what's fun there is there's no conjunction. Right. Then it just goes dash, <laughs> people, well, Elohim, right. <laughs> Abraham. Right. Before you were not a people, now you're a people, right? So that's yeah, what's what is, happening. That, what, what, what verb or conjunction would you want to supply there if you were translating, again, putting you on the spot? 
but you know, since there's no, there's no Vav there, there's no right. call, there's no transitional. So NIV went with as, which is fine. Alter in his typical style mm-hmm. uh, just doesn't put a verb in, just kind of leaves it ambiguous, just puts a comma. So he just says, the princes of peoples have gathered, comma, the people of Abraham's God. So like the opposition. It right? implies opposition right. without asserting it. Right. Right. Because it doesn't say they are now. Right. You know, that is, right? Just kind of. Right. But to yeah. think of them as the people, singular, th- this is a really, to use a problematic term, but I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> there are messianic potentialities in a verse like this. You know, this is only through a great act of God that they would not just be, I mean, I hear the homage thing, but if, if, they're, if they're actually, be, are they becoming the people of Abraham's God now? You know, because it's not the people of Abraham. It's like they are the people, the people of the world. God, Abraham. Abraham's even actually at the end of the sentence in the original, which is weird, right? So, like all the peoples are becoming one people. Is that the vision that's at least right suggested here in kind of an Isaiah? The whole world is God's, right? So He's reigning over the whole world. He is reigning over all the peoples, which means this is one people of God. Yeah. Right. Like, like the world is one world, right? With right. people, one. So, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite striking. Quite, the Psalms, Psalms tend to not talk this way, right? Very and often, right? It's quite know? powerful without like any suggestion of the messianic promise, right? Yeah. Like this particular one, um, right? Oh yeah, there's nothing so, messianic in the explicit sense. I'm right. just saying, like canonically, like who, who who's gonna make that happen? Right. <laughs> the right. Later, later, the prophets on. have a right. have a name for the. The, right, the right. guy who can pull that off. Right. <laughs> right? That's okay. what I mean by messianic. Right, right. Like, there's a messianic structure to this hope without the character of the Messiah appearing. Right. Is that right, 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 a right. claim that you'd be yeah. comfortable with as an Old Testament scholar? <laughs> yeah. So they do uh, the the Jews believe that one day God will reign the whole yeah. world. Right? So that's quite clear promise to Abraham. Right. It must happen. Yeah. So it's less about how right? Right. it's about the end, right? Yes. It okay. will happen. Okay. It's a determination. So the messianic means are not yet identified right. here. Correct. But the the end to which the Messiah is the means is being mm, right. clearly described. Yeah. That's help that's even better than the way I put it. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Shocker. Of course you'd say it better. Okay, that was super fun. Any other I you always have such great details. So any other little details you want to slip in under the wire before we take our second break? I just thought I'd open it up. What what else do you want to comment well, on? Well just you know, to point out verse four, right? Okay. He chose our inheritance for us. Yeah. The pride of Jacob, whom he loved. Yeah. Right? So if you start thinking about it, like, what is he talking about huh. here? But I think your translation is much better. It says the hill country, right? No, mine had pride of, mine, mine had pride of Jacob. I wonder if your CEB did hill country. No, he chose our inheritance. Is, do you have an Oh, he chose for us our estate. He, but that does estate. mean the high land, the good land. Right. But it could mean hill country. Right. And, um, which in parallel with pride of Jacob means. So uh, the verse is not talking about the people. The place. It's talking about the place, the promised land. Yeah, he right? chose for us our estates. Even inheritance implies like stuff. Right. But it's actually the promised land. Yeah, if you've read Joshua, you know inheritance means the land. Right. 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 <laughs> but we might, modern reader might miss that. Right. So. Right. So the pride of Jacob, it's not 
Right. So it's not the people of Jacob. The best land. The best land. Oh, I had so, no idea that's what Pride of Jacob meant. That's awesome. So he loved the land first and then gave it to his people. <laughs> it's not that he loved his people, so he gave them the land. Does that make sense? Yeah. The pride of Jacob, which he loves. Right. And so, loves in the sense of chosen, choice, best. Right. So it's the land that he loves. So, wow. And then they're ascending. You know, the hills of Judah, right? Jerusalem is on the hill mm-hmm. that becomes later the capital, right? So all of that is talking about, you know, all those promises given to Abraham, right? They're all being celebrated here. This is the promised land. He made a nation out of Abraham, right? And he's blessing the world because he blessed Abraham, right? So all of this is coming together. So it's quite I think it's quite interesting to look into the into the details. And then God has ascended amidst shouts of joy, right? Hmm. So I think the uh, the first inclination that we have is to think about Jesus' ascension. Yeah, but not right? yet. Don't go but straight that's there, not, right? Yeah. right? We shouldn't go there. So God Ever? ascended. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Perfect. God has ascended. It's God went up, right? The mm-hmm. hill country, right? Went up yes. to Jerusalem. How did he do that? Well, the Ark. I was going to say Ark of the Covenant. Right, yeah. the Ark of the Covenant. And it was accompanied by lots of shouting trumpets, and trumpet yeah. sounds. So that's what comes to mind. And then crowning of a king, as I said, right? So that's ascending to the throne, right? That's the, uh, the phrase this we use. This fits really well if you had taken the arc out with you for battle as they did right you know and then as it comes back later this could really fit that scene and even if you don't take it in and out anymore you kind of remember that narrative right yeah tabernacle would be the first thing that i would think of there yeah the jesus thing's just the catchword although actually ironically then this psalm would work in lent just as well because in a way the whole story of jesus is him ascending up toward jerusalem right as the tabernacle of God's presence, right? So ascension, you know, there are more than one ways of exploring Christological resonances instead of just like cramming it into an ascension narrative. Yeah. Right. It also, the the first five uh, verses kind of remind about the conquest of the land, remind us about the conquest of the land, right? So he subdued nations under us, people under our feet. He chose our inheritance. So it's still talking about the promised land, right? So that's the, um, you know, reminds of the conquest and how it was done with, you know, clapping of hands and shouting and, um, you know, Jericho. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of Joshua resonances here. Abrahamic connection, Joshua connection. Right. So he he reigns or he, um, some translations, I think, says, uh, say he he began to reign, something like Hmm. that. And it's like, well, what does it mean he began to reign? Didn't he yeah, do it? For so it's more. It's uh, I think what uh, it's it's not about whether there was a time when he didn't at all, but rather in that particular place he was not recognized as God. Right. But now he is recognized as God. So he begins to reign even there. Does that make sense? Yeah. What I'm yeah. Trying to? And the same would. Be true anytime other nations come and pay homage right. to this nation. There's a kind of right. you know coming to submit before his 
Right. You know. So Moses and his son in Psalm, uh, sorry, in Exodus 15. Yes. yes. So he talks about how God begins to reign. Yes. I mean, he's been reigning all all this time, but because, you know, the parting of the sea and the overcoming of the Egyptian army and all that, right? So now there's a place where he begins to reign. That's all leveraging his creator power. Right. As the one who you could say, I mean, I'll introduce a distinction of his general reign or right. his generic even reign. Right, right. And his particular reign, reign over Israel, which has a time and a place in history. Right. And begins at a particular point. Right, right. And unfolds. So God isn't reigning from Zion. He's reigning over Zion like he's reigning over every other mountain. But he doesn't reign from Zion until the people are established there. Is that right? Yes, yeah. yes, that's exactly. So yeah. you know that the most important word in the Old Testament is remember, right? <laughs> yes. So the same thing, like the psalmist is singing praises to the past. Yeah. Right? What God has done in the past. Why is it important? Because we know what he is now and what he is going to do. That's what right? we frame all our issues. Right. So under. If right. If we know who we are, right, in the past, because our past tells us, then when we can uh, move forward with certainty, even if it doesn't feel like it right now. Yeah. Well, now you're preaching. So let's take, <laughs> let's take a break and come back to our third segment. Perfect transition. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Larissa Lebicheva, and we're looking at Psalm 47. Psalm 47. All peoples, clap your hands. <laughs> we don't have to read the whole thing again, but I do. I will mention just for funsies, and then we can explore some sermon starters. I do actually pray and chant this one very often because it's an excellent call to right. worship psalm. So I use this in right. morning prayer okay. often. And it really, it sings great because it's got nice structure. Like you said, the parallelism and all, it kind of has a nice rhythm to it. Uh, but anyway, I just thought I'd mention that it's, it's resonances with, with uh, it fits in almost any worship setting, right. especially at the beginning as a call to worship because right. of the opening lines. Right. Um, so, yeah. So uh, where would we want to go with this? If we were preaching or teaching or guiding others in an experience with this text, what do you think the focus should be? What would be your suggestion? Well, my suggestion would be, you know, remember the past, hmm. right? Especially in today's world, there's so much going on and, you know, we're still affected mm -hmm. by COVID and the consequences and still trying to wrap our mind around it. And what does it mean, right? What are the implications? So much has changed, but we don't even understand fully what that means, right? So, I think uh, a lot of people are at a loss, right? Yeah. Emotional, spiritual, physical, right? So it's it may seem like I don't know what's going to happen, right? So I think what this psalm, as a lot of others, teach us is that it's really not ours to worry about what our future will be because who by worrying can add an hour to your day, right? Mm. As Jesus says. But it's more about if you know what God has done for you in the past, right? That's something that nobody can take away from you, right? You know right. you were there. It's solid. You know how God uh, acted in the past on your behalf, and God doesn't change. So he is the same, and he will do the same thing for you now. So future is uncertain. Nobody knows the future. 
but past is certain. So look there, remember what it was like, remember what God has done, and just dwell on that. And the unchanging character of God will help you through the changing times. God is reigning. He has subdued the nations, right? And eventually the whole world will come and bow down. So whatever the issue is, will be solved. I think it's, it's about this, you know, active waiting, right? Mm. You're waiting for the God, for God to do something in, in your life, right? There is something that you're facing that you're not sure about. And yet you can't do anything about it because you don't know what to do. So the point is not about trying to figure it out, but to uh, remain faithful even in the uncertainty. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what God requires of you. Just act justly, walk humbly. You know it all. So just continue doing what you know is doing and worship God because of what he has done. Yeah. Right. That, that, changes, that changes the imagination. That right. changes the attitude. And if you allow God to work that in you, then you will see the world differently. Now, the problem will still be there, but your attitude to it will change. It's yeah, hard. The nations it's, still rage, but... Right. Yeah. As you were talking, again, of course, I'm going to make New Testament connections, but oh, well. it's helpful. Oh, well, listen to you. You are allowed to do that, whatever Larissa says. Uh <laughs> But you'll be happy that this isn't like a, as if this text is empty and being filled up by some kind of meaning exterior right. to it. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But rather to point out that this language of active waiting that you use here has deep resonances with some language, I don't know if I'll be able to find it fast enough, uh, in First and or Second Peter that talks about a hastening that waits. Here it is, yeah. As you wait and hasten the coming of the kingdom... Yeah, Second Peter three, verse twelve, both a waiting and a, but it's an active kind of waiting, right. moving forward right. toward, and how like that basic mindset that is the mindset that that's the ethical implications of a, of a doctrine like ascension. Right. So instead of yeah. saying like, oh, this text doesn't mean anything until you add the ascension doctrine. Of course, that's going to drive Larry so nuts and me. Uh, it's more recognizing that actually the very ethos of yeah. Psalm 47 yeah. corresponds perfectly with the ethos flowing out of Christ's ascension. Something has been done. Right. Easter already has happened. And yet the resurrection of all the dead still await. Right. And so we are in this time between. And so that present tense, that notion that there's both past tense of he's come to reign, right. but he's also sitting and reigning right. now. Fun fact, in the Apostles' Creed, sitting is the only present tense verb attributed to Jesus in that mm. middle section. It's all past tense, which fits what you're talking right. about, memory. It's all remembering up through ascension. And then one present tense verb, he's sitting at the right hand of God, and then the future coming again to judge. So right. it's like 85% past tense remembering. Yeah. A future that we look to, and then this middle moment of, is Christ sitting at the right hand of God who sits enthroned? But his sitting in throne doesn't mean all the problems are solved, that all the dead right. are raised, right. um, that all sins have been wiped away, and yet he has been installed and the definitive blow has been broken. And so he directs our attention back in remembering and forward in, as you called it, active waiting. So I think this active waiting language actually fits really well if someone wants to make ascension connections without right. doing it in a slavish and lame way. 
<laughs> For the record, Laura is laughing, but she laughs silently, as does Aaron Perry, another rather good guest. So I always laugh at my jokes, but just like bouncing and smiling. <laughs> I'm like, I oh, gotta laugh out loud. It's it's radio, baby. <laughs> There's a little bit. We'll get that on the record. <laughs> hey, before we wrap up, would you be willing to share? It's like, I'm trying to remember if I've had you on once before with the Psalms yet. Did we do a Psalm together yet? Or is this the first? I think it's the first. Jeez. It's been a busy schedule. Well, I'll have to have you on a gajillion more times. Sure. Uh, you were awesome. This was great. Would you be willing to share every, I've been asking a lot of guests this. Do you have any just general advice for preaching on the Psalms? Psalms are hard to kind of preach on because they're not like, I mean, the people who are good at it, it's amazing, right? But like, right. they're not narratives. People have kind of their ways that they do narratives. They're not instruction, you know, they're not prophecy. Like they're, they're their own kind of genre. And so they're often tricky to, to preach on. So I was wondering if you had any recommendations for any of our listeners who do preach on the Psalms or maybe never have and want to try. Do you have any advice of either do's or don'ts or just things to remember? You can even start with your pet peeves and we can reverse engineer advice from that. <laughs> yeah, I think Psalms always tell a story. Right, ah. It's not in the narrative as we think about it. It's not like Abraham packed up and went there and did this and then he moved somewhere else. But it's more of a larger story of what God has done. So mm. quite often you have to fill that story in. Okay. For the Jews, they know their story, right? They right. continuously repeat them and tell their children. So when something is mentioned, they know what it's about or can think of several stories. Right. So I think if you preach on it, so you have to, uh, on Psalm 47, probably talk a little bit about the conquest, what happened right. during that time, or what was the ceremony of coronation of a king? Like, what, what was that like? Or maybe do some historical research on troops coming back to Jerusalem with victory and what you know, in what a it was preaching like. setting, you might have to make a judgment call of which of those to right. focus on in right. order but to you, fill it you, out. Right. Yeah. You need to fill some story. You have to provide that for your audience to understand better, to make connections. And then, you know, ask the question, so why do we need to remember this? Mm. Right. What a, If we're praising God right now, as here the main idea is to praise God, to shout praises, for what he has done. So the question is, what why? Has he done? Yeah. Why? What are the implications for us that he has done all of that? Yeah. Right. So once again, you supply that. Right. Just think about you know church hymns. Yeah. Right. They they tell you theology. Right. That's what they teach, but not the way we would think of teaching. Right. right. So you do have to supply, express rather than exposit. Right. right. And that's what's always tricky because then as a preacher, do you then translate that into exposition or do you find your own ways to express it? But that's very helpful to remember that they're not narrative in shape, right. but narrative in substance. The content is still right. narratival and teasing that out is one of our tasks then as a preacher of the word. Right. And this is poetry. Poetry hard to, for some people, it's hard to understand even, right? What are the yeah. metaphors? What does it mean? So you have to explain a lot of it. But then yeah. people leave with a richer understanding mm -hmm. of poetry, of Hebrew poetry, of Psalms, and how poetry works. And, and if you believe how emotions, as I, right, produce yeah. a certain behavior. Yeah, and if, if we believe, at least as I do, that 
God and his spirit were at work in the collection and preservation of the canon, then apparently God likes poetry. Right. Because uh, there's a whole heck of a lot of it that God receives this. He receives our praise. So he wouldn't have to. He doesn't need it. And we know from the prophets that he doesn't always like it, right. you know, when it's not corresponding to a life that fits. It is an act of God's wonderful grace and mercy that he receives our prayers, yes. receives our praise, our thanks, our songs. So, yeah, well, thanks so much, Larissa. I always love studying the word with you. Had a good time Thank with you. you. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks to all our listeners, as always. We appreciate you listening to the show. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing the show without you. Thanks to our patron saints who support the show. Uh, if you would like to do so and you've not yet, uh, go to patreon.com slash fresh text and find ways to support the show just to help uh, Todd and Eric out for all their behind the scenes work. Thanks to Tom Adamson for the theme music he has donated. And with all those thanks, we now just say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.